Well, that's a good segue to what I wanted to talk about, the, the grape culture here in Virginia. What would you like people to think of when I tell them I'm going to bring you some Virginia wine? <laughs> uh, I hope they don't go, oh, no, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Wine and More podcast. I'm your host, Howard Fletcher. I'm a real estate advisor with Engel and & Folkers and Tysons, and I bring buyers and sellers of residential real estate together in the Washington metropolitan area, better known as the DMV. And in today's episode, I visit the winery at Bull Run. Now, if Bull Run sounds familiar to you, you probably remember it from your high school history class or from Ken Burns' fantastic documentary, The Civil War. Bull Run is actually a stream, and it crosses Fairfax, Loudoun, and Prince William counties in Virginia. And in the American Civil War, two major battles were fought at a site just north of the city of Manassas in Prince Frederick County. The winery at Bull Run is located adjacent to the historic Stone Bridge, and that bridge crosses that Bull Run stream at the eastern entrance of the Manassas National Battlefield Park. The original bridge was destroyed during the First Battle of Bull Run, and it's also called the First Battle of Manassas, on January 21st, 1861, the first major land battle in the Civil War. And some years later, a new bridge was built there, and it's very similar to the original design, and you can see it there today, and you can see it actually if you go to the winery. The winery lies on 225 acres that are right next to Manassas Battlefield Park. It's adjacent to the battlefield. And there, the remnants of an old house that burned down about 30 years ago, uh, it's, those remnants still partially stand. And that is where the winery is built. And that's where I sat down with the winemaker in their spacious barrel room to talk about history, Virginia, and wine. This is episode seven, the winery at Bull Run, talking grapes with a Georgia Bulldog. Okay, well, I am at the winery at Bull Run. It's about 25 miles southwest of DC, I believe. It was about an hour drive on a normal day if you don't run into too much traffic. Um, and it's a very historic spot. We're right next to the Manassas Battlefield. Uh, this is the site of the first battle of the American Civil War, or what my fourth grade teacher used to like to call the War Between the States. And I'm here with Ashton Lowe, who is the winemaker here. Ashton, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. So what can you tell us about uh, what you do here, about actually making the wine here? I know that's a lot. That's a big question. That's a big question. That could take a while. But um, so we have a vineyard manager. We have two vineyards. Uh, we have one right around the winery, and then we have one uh, down off of 211 in a little town called Amosville. So we have a, a really good you know, vineyard manager, Wayne Mills, so I don't have to do too much regarding uh, the growing of the actual fruit. That's um, good. And which is is handy, so I can yeah. you know, really focus on the winemaking. So, um, you know, Wayne and I talk very closely, and and when we decide to harvest the fruit, um, 
you know, we'll load it up, we'll get it here at the winery, and that's really when my job starts. How long have you been here as the winery? Uh, I was, I came to Virginia from the University of Georgia in uh, July of 2012. Uh -huh. um, was hired by Chris Pearman at the uh, Pearman Cellars and then made the wine at Vent Hill and then we got the contract to make the wine you know for the winery at Bull Run that was their initial year I think it was 2012. So as long as you've been here uh, were the vines already in place or do you have the input on what is grown here? Right around the winery the you know the soil is not spectacular you know for growing fruit so we chose uh, you know, Norton right around the winery uh -huh. you know Norton is a you know native kind of hybrid to the east coast uh, grows a lot in in Missouri also and um, it was originally created by Dr. Norton in Richmond I think in the early 1900s. What other grapes do you uh, or wines do you produce here? Uh, we produce uh, Viognier, Chardonnay, uh, we produce a white blend called Delaney, named after the owner's oldest daughter. Um, sometimes, depending on the year, we'll have a, a single varietal Traminette, um, a couple of dessert wines, port, um, make a Chamberson Rosé, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, um, Petit Verdot, um, and usually a blend of those uh, Bordeaux grapes too. Chamerson is a grape that I have run into here and there, sometimes quite often and then other times not as often, but mm -hmm. in the mid-Atlantic, certainly. Um, do you do anything, and I've noticed a wide range, I would say, in the, the taste of it or the quality of the wine that's being produced, or the style of wine, mm -hmm. let me say, being produced. How do you like to use Chamerson or what do you do with it? So, I like Chamberson. It's a larger berry. Uh, produces uh, a lot of juice. Um, it's got good color. Uh -huh. it grows you know well in Virginia. Um, crops pretty heavy. Um, but I I prefer to use Chamberson as either a rosé or a port. Um, I've had and I've made some table wines from Chamberson, and I just didn't think it makes as good a table wine as it does you know other other styles. Uh -huh. And so I generally don't, you know, use it for a table wine. So someone coming to the winery at Bull Run, for the wine specifically, I know you get a lot of people here uh, because of the history of the area. Uh, my first time coming here was not actually when I met you. It was, uh, I was on a board of a nonprofit that you have a lot of uh, events here. Mm -hmm. And they had a fashion show down, okay. I guess, underneath the tasting room right right and uh that i really loved it the, the place is uh the tasting room is very nice uh we're here in the barrel room this is also a, a nice area but what's neat about this place is that you have all these little civil war artifacts around mm. like like the uh the rifles and things that are that are in the tasting room so you can get a little bit of history while right. you're getting a little drunk <laughs> well, the, uh, the, uh, the owner uh, here is a Civil War buff, and uh, due to our, our location, yeah. you know, there were a lot. We have murals around that, that show, you know, different areas of the battlefield. And, um, I mean, the first shot of the Civil War was, you know, fired within eye shot from here. Huh. Um, so it's a, a historical property, and um, so the owner embraces that. Yeah. And, um, the whole winery is kind of themed to that kind of era, old 
older kind of architecture and you know barn look yeah. and that sort of thing. Sure, sure. Why, as the winemaker, what would you say to somebody who's coming down here specifically for the wine? What 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 are you uh, very good at making? What do you like to highlight? I make an equal share of both. Um, statistically, whites sell around I think you know sixty percent of the market and. Mm-hmm. You know, fifty-five percent. You know, reds. You know, forty to forty-five. So, um, we make a few more whites, and we do reds, and we have a rosé. Um, the South, generally speaking, uh, leans a little sweeter than other areas of uh, of the country. So, we do make a couple of off-dry. You know, the term for having a little bit of residual sugar um, wines. We have a rosé, our cuvee blanc, Delaney. Um, it's also slightly off dry, but uh, I make a wide variety. I make everything from dry, crisp, white wines to heavy, robust ports and everything in the middle. So um, when I was working at multiple wineries, you making wine for multiple, you know, multiple wineries, I got very good at blending and using different vineyards of fruit to make, you know, three or four different Cab Francs, maybe six or seven different Chardonnays. Um, and make them all taste different. Now you're not, you might not know which one came from which you know, winery, but you could taste distinctive you know, differences in each one. So I think I'm pretty good at that. Um, and you're making a large variety of wines um, that are, are very drinkable. Speaking of using grapes from different areas or different places, uh, I know a lot of wineries, including this one, gets fruit from, uh, you know, in Virginia and Maryland and some of the surrounding area. But when you go outside of, say, the Mid Atlantic, mm-hmm. um, what grapes do you usually have to buy at a, outside this area, and what grapes would you choose to if you if just had an unlimited budget? It really wouldn't make a difference. As, as what? Where would you like to go for your fruit? Um, well, Virginia is always my first choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I never buy anything from any other state on the East Coast other than Virginia. Okay. Um, now if the, if the weather of the year, you know, forces me, I mean, it's based on math and economics, you know, sure. if, if I have to make, you know, 15,000 cases for the winery of Bull Run to survive and I only have, you know, 13 and a half thousand cases worth of fruit in Virginia, then I have to, I have to make that up somewhere. Right. Um, I prefer Washington state fruit. Okay. Um, Anything I have to get, you know, from the West Coast, which I try to limit as best I can, um, it would it would usually come from Washington. Why is that? I, I like the quality of their fruit. I think uh-huh. it's, I mean, and nothing against you know California or oh, sure. Oregon. I mean, they right. make you know beautiful wines, obviously, but uh, I, I, they're the flavor profile of the Washington fruit is closer to the Virginia profile, you know, flavor profile and. Uh, and I just, I happen to like that a little bit you know, better. Their climate's not quite as hot, mm-hmm. so you don't get that uh, really huge uh, sugar level. Um, the grapes don't get um, kind of raisined as much. Um, I mean, there's a lot of factors go in, but the, the wine style I prefer, you prefer to drink is a little lower alcohol, a um, little more complex, a little more interesting. Um, and when you get really, really hot, dry climates, it, it kind of takes a little bit of that away from the fruit itself. You, you get a really high sugar and not as much you know, complexity. 
So where did you learn your craft? I, you said you went to the University of Georgia. Are you from mm-hmm. Georgia? No, I'm actually from you know, Southern Virginia, but I went to uh, Virginia Military Institute mm-hmm. initially. Um, and then uh, did a, lunch, you know, a lot of different things. And then um, in 2008, you decided to go back to, to school uh, with aspirations of being a um, oral you know, maxillofacial surgeon. Wow. Like my uh, cousin is, and uh, we worked with him for a little bit, and then um, got back into school, wanted to go to medical school, and uh, found biochemistry, um, found, um, and I was, you know, poor college student, so uh, again, and uh, <laughs> so I started, uh, as any true biochemist would, making my own beer and wine at my house, All Right. and uh, found that I really enjoyed that, and um, so I, I continued to to pursue that while in school and I had a you know a multi-million dollar lab I was working in doing oh. research so um, I was able to take you know what I had made through through the lab run it through all my you know, mass specs and stuff and kind of really you know check it out you know see where it was bring other wines in test oh. them and, and just uh, found a love for it and um, had to continue working at the university or had to uh, decide to do something else and uh Went on winejobs.com and found an ad for a winery in Virginia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, came up in July of 2012. You know, it's funny. Um, in doing these podcasts with different people, wineries, owners, winemakers mostly, uh, it seems like they come into the craft of winemaking two ways, mostly. Some, because it's a family business and they right. learned it from a, a father or uncle or something like that. But in the D.C. area, overwhelmingly, uh-huh. Uh, it seems to be either they're chemical engineers mm. or they come from the medical field in which right. they got involved in chemistry like yourself. Right. It's some there, and it makes sense, obviously, because right. you're, the whole process is a chemical process. But I just found that very interesting because before going into this, I always had this romantic right. thought of, you know, the family winery or, right. you know, I learned right. this from my dad. Or even right. if they weren't in the winemaking business, you kind of learned it right. some other way. But it's very interesting that uh, most people seem to come to it nowadays, or at least in this area, uh, from that angle. Yeah, well, I mean, the United States really is not a wine culture per right. se, you know. Um, <laughs> right. We haven't lived here that long, you know. You know, Europe is a wine culture. They've had wine in their, you know, lifestyle for you know thousands and thousands uh-huh. of years. As has you know all around you know the Mediterranean and the Fertile Crescent, all all through those areas. So I mean, that, those are wine cultures. So, you know, that's that's where you get your tradition of you know families and you know you know wineries and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we're in the wine world, uh, pretty new on the block yeah. as far as uh, the age of the industry. And Virginia in particular, with regards, you know, relative to the West Coast, you know, it's been going on there pretty well since the 1800s, even earlier than that. Um, you know, Thomas Jefferson tried it here, but they didn't have the, um, uh, the ability to combat um, the native, uh, you know, fungus and uh, the humidity issues and the insect issues and that kind of thing. So, you know, he everything he tried to grow, you know, he fa- you know, it failed because it just couldn't handle the environment. Um, because we're in a warm, wet climate, mm-hmm. and that's great for all things that like to destroy grapes. 
And uh, so until you develop the technology to defend against that, right. which we now have, you know, around the 70s, I think, early to mid-70s, you know, spray technology. And, and, you know, on the West Coast, they don't have a lot of the problems either. That's why, you know, you know theirs began much earlier than ours. Right. You know, it's very dry. They don't have a lot of bug pressure or disease pressure out there, and so, um, which is great for grapes. It's very similar, you know, to the Mediterranean kind of climate, southern Italy, that sort of thing. Well, this is a good segue to what I wanted to talk about, the, the grape culture here in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, you know, California in the late 60s, early 70s had developed one. So that's where you get the, the you know, uh, name California Cab mm-hmm. and other things. Mm-hmm. They, when you think about California, you think of Sonoma, Napa, right, right. Uh, even Oregon with Pinot Noir and yep. other things, you have an image, you have a thought of what they're producing. Um, what do you think that's going to, or what is Virginia's, what's the shape Virginia has right now, and where do you think it's going to go? And, you know, what would you like people to think of when I tell them I'm going to bring you some Virginia wine? Uh, I hope they don't go, oh, no, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, due to our climate, uh, you know, we are still, you know, finding our way which grapes to right. choose that suits best here you know climatically we kind of sit in the middle of, of France right um, depending on the year sometimes in a hot dry year our fruits a little more west coast in style cooler dry a little more French in style warm and wet which we have a lot of you know it's a you know it's a unique kind of Virginia style of fruit um, so we we're our climate, we have a lot of vintage, you know, variation, uh-huh. you know, from year to year. So, um, you know, you picking a certain group of fruit, uh, you know, grape plants, you know, it's hard to determine what actually is the perfect uh, types of grapes to grow in, in Virginia. Um, so that's why we pick off a little bit from France. So we've got some, you know, Bordeaux varietals that grow here. Uh-huh. We've got Chardonnay. That grows here. We've got Petite Mansang, maybe Gross Mansang that grows here. It's from the south in the mountains. And then we've got, uh, you know, Viognier. But the other ones we can't grow. We can't really grow Pinot Noir very well. We uh-huh. can't grow Syrah or Grenache very well. Um, it's just not hot enough. Um, the Bordeaux grapes um, do okay. Do they do well in certain years, okay in others. Um, I know people are trying some Italian varietals from the interior of Italy, uh, Maybe some Nebbiolo, I think uh, Albarino, you know, Barbersville makes a really nice Albarino. Uh, Vermentino, I think they also uh-huh. make, um, you know, very well. So, um, I mean, people are trying a lot of different things. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, good wine you know, coming out of Virginia. But as far as um, picking a spot and saying, oh, you know, Virginia does great, you know, Cab Sauv or you know, something like that. We, I don't know that we've really determined that. We grow a really good Cab Franc and Viognier, uh-huh. and I think that's probably starting to be a blip on the radar. But um, we're still pretty small. You know, a lot of the wineries are very small, so we don't distribute, and that's why you don't see oh, absolutely. You know, a lot of wine out in the marketplace from Virginia. Yeah, and, and it's and it's tough. I've had that conversation, too, with a lot of producers, and I don't know if in the near future... You're, you know, it just by the economies of scale, by number, if you're ever going to be able to do that anytime soon, because mm-hmm. you're, you know, uh, you know, there are producers that produce more wine, single producers in California that sure. produce more wine than the entire state of Virginia. Right. Um, 
But, you know, I've told the story, too, on this podcast. In the 80s, when I was at Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you were at Georgia. Uh, uh, I won't hold I, that against you. <laughs> I had come back home, and I remember in the Washington Post, there was a story about uh, Virginia wine. And, and there were some tours. This was the late 80s now. Mm-hmm. There, there were some tours that were happening, and I think they had a little map of places you could go if you want to go. And uh, I asked, and I was surprised to see it. I had even I had no clue that they were even making wine down there. And the people I knew who uh, had gone on some of those tours mm-hmm. came back with terrible reviews. Right. Oh, the wine's terrible. It's this type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And um, and I think it probably wasn't the best right. uh, at that time. Um, however, you know, um, I, I, I think that, you know, you're right in that or, or you're, I'm in agreement with you and a lot of the other people are too, that growers are finding what, what grows best here. Mm-hmm. And certainly winemakers, uh, they're some of the best winemakers in the States, I think, in this area now. Yeah. And um, so um, while people are learning, we're still learning where we're going, I'm hoping that at least their, the reputation will proceed it that the wine is better. Right. And, it, and, and actually, some of it is, is as good as any you're going to get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that the public needs to, and that's one of the things I've tried to achieve with this podcast, I just hope that the, the public will start to uh, uh, taste an adventure and, and, and try it more. Right. And so hopefully that they will spread that reputation. Because mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't know if distributing it is going to be possible or profitable for anybody really involved. I think this might be a location wine for quite a, for quite a while. Right. Well, the issue with distribution is you've got to make a lot of it yeah. at a an economic cost that makes you know sense both mm-hmm. for the winery and yes. the distributor. Um, and so most, I mean, the... Um, the fruit in Virginia, because of the labor involved, is you know fairly pricey. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of um, you know, mechanization in the vineyard. Um, we do have a lot of slope, and we have a lot of rain, and and um, you know that can be you know troublesome when harvesting fruit. And you know there's just a lot of hand labor that's involved in making you know, you know Virginia wine, and so it's um, you can't run a picker through. The vineyard in a lot of places and mm-hmm. harvest the fruit and uh, the, the, you know, that you can in other locations. So you know the economies of scale for most of the wineries in Virginia just don't line up. Now there are some mm-hmm. that are large enough and they've got enough you know um, you know deep pockets to to be able to do a, a, a fair amount of distribution. But you know that's that's not the norm in Virginia. You know yeah. our economic models based on people coming to the winery and enjoying the property and uh, hanging out and having a couple bottles of wine or taking a few with them or or whatever so I don't I don't know that we'll ever be the big distributor state I mean you can put six Virginias in California so right right I mean you're you know just from a land size you know we're not gonna be able to do anything like that yeah well yeah but it can it can certainly help the tourist economy I mean we're on the top 10 destination list for for you know, wine tourism. Yeah, and that's right, rightfully so. And, uh, so I mean, we're kind of in a sweet spot on the East Coast. If you go too much, you know, further north, mm-hmm. you, you struggle to, to grow reds. Um, you know, New York does beautiful you know, whites, but they you know routinely you know you struggle with the red fruit. Uh, if you go too far south, 
um, your, your disease pressure gets really, really high and your, and your bug pressure and you, so, I mean, we're, we're kind of in the, in the little sweet zone on the East coast as to, to where the best fruit potentially could be grown. This, uh, I know last year there was a lot of rain, mm. uh, I think double the amount of rain, if not more yeah, than double. Our vineyard got a hundred inches. Yeah. That's And what would you prefer? What's your, what's your sweet spot? So to speak? Less than a hundred inches. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm you know, just, half of yes, that, half uh, of that uh, okay. you know, the drier, the better, right. you know, right. um, grapes thrive when, uh, they struggle a little bit mm-hmm. or the great, the fruits better when the vine struggles a little bit mm-hmm. and, uh, dry is always better than wet. Yeah. Um, now we don't have to irrigate, um, yeah. which is handy. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you get inundated with water like we did last year, it's uh, you know detrimental to the yeah. fruit after a certain point. I mean, they, I mean, grapes. Honestly, grapevines are kind of glorified weeds. Mm-hmm. They grow everywhere, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, so they'll they can you know suffer through a certain amount of uh, of rain, but after a point, you know. Now, what about this rain we've had? Um, you know, we're recording this. This is the uh, first, what will we, the 10th of, of March? No, what, it's today? Past that. Yeah, 12th. We're, we're past that. <laughs> yeah, today I don't know. is the uh, 12th. 12th, okay, 12th of March. Uh, and it's been a wet beginning of this year, but yeah. you haven't had bud break. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So does that matter? Not really. Not, you know, not at this point. Now, the ground's still saturated from... Mm-hmm. You know, last year, so it needs to dry out at okay. some point. Okay. Um, because that just you know, it creates you know, even more disease. Right. You know, when it, you don't get it ever drying out, if it continues to stay wet. Right. Because um, you need it develops more sugar, right? If it's drier in the grape. Well, that's it's a little more complex than that. But the the fruit doesn't the grapes vines themselves don't like sitting in water it's Mm -hmm. like any other plant Mm -hmm. you know the you know eventually it starts it drowns you know and um you know they don't they're worried more about survival not fruit production and uh so they just they kind of you know leave off producing grapes and the grapes they do produce are not very good quality Mm -hmm. Uh, you need the dryness not necessarily for the you know sugar but for the health of the plant okay and you need sunshine um yeah, yeah, wine is sunshine, basically. Okay. Well, that's what I'm hoping for <laughs> this year because I'm a, I'm a red drinker. Right. And uh, I know last year was hard on the red crop. Yeah. Uh, on the, and so, uh, I don't know, 2018 might not be one of the strongest vintage years for reds. I can comfortably say that it will not be a strong red <laughs> yeah. year for Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've heard a lot. A lot of yeah. rosé is what yeah. I've been now hearing. Now, the whites, uh, you know, if you got them early enough and... Uh, you know, usually you know, the whites we didn't really have any issues with, mm-hmm. other than they didn't reach their their full you know sugar potential. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, they still make good wines. Well, one more thing um, before I wrap up. But the you the other day, last week, mm-hmm. last Friday, I believe, you were mentioning that you had a uh, educational. You did a little uh, seminar on sparkling wine. I did. Here, which I don't. Do you all make a sparkling wine? We do not. We okay. we have it contracted from you know, the West Coast mm-hmm. uh, to make. We just can't grow the fruit uh, that we feel makes the best you know sparkling wine here, and we don't have the the setup. It takes right. a little different you know equipment you know sure. setup to be able to do that. 
Um, we're maturing in our production facility uh, still, so yeah, we don't you make that in-house right what, now. What grapes would you need that you couldn't? Uh, Pinot Noir. Uh, I, I really like uh, Pinot Meunier. Mm -hmm. um, now we do get Chardonnay, but right now um, the Chardonnay in our vineyard only supports enough to produce the wine. You know, you know that's our a traditional you know Chardonnay. So, mm -hmm. so we would need to increase our crop in order to make uh, a Blanc de Blanc. Yeah. You know, uh, you type Chardonnay. But again, and I'd love to do that because I, I love to make bubbly. I do a little bit you know for my own. Uh, consumption from raspberries or blueberries, which oh. also make me beautiful bubbly. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, a couple of cases, it's uh, it's quite good. But um, yeah, we we just don't have the setup right now to be able to do that. Okay. And uh, I would love to in the future, though. So I'm I'm kind of kind of pushing them a little bit to try <laughs> to do that. Then you know, plant some more Chardonnay, and we'll make a really nice blanc de blanc. All right. Well, um, what would you to leave our audience with as far as why should you, they come down to visit the winery at Bull Run? Well, um, you should come to Bull Run in particular because we have a beautiful you know, facility. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot uh, of events going on all the time. We'll have bands, we have festivals, we, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, we also have um, extended hours, so if you, you know, wanted to you know, quiet, relaxing drink in the evening. You could, you know, come here on the weekends for that. You know, during the week, it's a little slower than it is on the weekend. So, uh, but you are open every day. Open every day. Yeah. Um, unless it snows, we had a couple of snow days this mm -hmm. year. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's really you know a fun place to come. Uh, the wines are uh, you know solid. Mm -hmm. um, and I would I would say continue to if you've had a bad experience in in Virginia wine overall, continue to to find other wineries, you know, and uh, just you do research and because they're, they're, I mean, m most of them are really, really nice places to go and um, you, can, you can always find something you can enjoy to drink. Okay. All right. Ashton Lowe, I appreciate the time. And uh, absolutely. I will be back uh, when it's much warmer and sunnier in the, <laughs> in the spring and summer. I can, you know, like I said, the, uh, the event that I went to before was was excellent it Good. really was Good. so appreciate it thank you, you very much you betcha thank you bye-bye and uh, that's another show in the books and that's another reason why i love the dmv i would like to thank ashton lowe for being on the show and allowing me to interview him in the winery if you have an interest in learning more about the winery at bull run the wines they produce, and some of the history of Bull Run, their website is in the show notes. And if you're looking for a great and educational weekend day trip from DC, I highly recommend visiting the winery at Bull Run. Listen, I would love to hear from you. If you want to contact me about real estate in DC, Maryland, and Virginia, or the subject matter of this podcast, please email me at howard.fletcher at evusa.com. Or just Google Howard Fletcher Podcast or Howard Fletcher Real Estate or even Real Estate and Wine Podcast and I guarantee you're going to find me on the first page. Something that you can do that would help me out a whole lot, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes, is please rate this episode and also subscribe. Go there. Go there and do it right now. 
And if you like the show, let your friends know about it and ask them to give me a listen too. I would very much appreciate it. I want to grow this podcast as much as possible. Many of you know, I want to take over the world. The Real Estate Wine and More podcast is a production of the Fletcher Group, made in association with Engel and Folkers, Tysons, and Lansdowne. Music for this episode was supplied by Cadillac Grip. If you're ever in the Boulder or Denver, Colorado areas, please go see Cadillac Grip play. Because if you ain't hip to the grip, you just ain't hip. The Real Estate Wine and More podcasts were written, recorded, engineered, produced, and screwed up by me. I'm Howard Fletcher, your friendly neighborhood real estate advisor with Engel and Folkers. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.